to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and I have our co-host Logan Stump. How's it going, everybody? Going good. We got a great show for you today. Uh, It's really just an interview as we're continuing our preview of all the MLS clubs before the season starts on April 3rd. Uh, we had Austin last week, so that was great. little preview for an expansion side. But this week, we have our preview of the Vancouver Whitecaps. And we also have some other teams that we're going to be previewing later. We have a Houston and San Jose preview coming. So if you have questions for that, hit us up on the socials. Uh, otherwise, uh, we have with us later in this show, Sam Rowan from... SB Nation's uh, Vancouver Whitecaps uh, blog, 86 Forever. So uh, we'll just take a short break here real quick, and we will now welcome Sam Rowan onto the show. And welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show, and we have special guest Sam Rowan. How are you today? Um, Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, You cover the Whitecaps, but... Uh, all the things you do to do so? Absolutely, yeah. Well, based in, in locally in Vancouver, BC, and this will be my fourth season now covering the Vancouver Whitecaps in some capacity, and my second as a managing editor of 86 Forever, which is the SB Nation version we have to cover the, the Whitecaps here in Vancouver. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a while and done some work in university sport up here in Canada as well. So looking forward to getting into some white talk, Whitecaps talk with you guys. Yeah, happy to have you on. Uh, I don't, I mean, like I've been following the league since 2007-ish, but, you know, Whitecaps came in, geez, what, 2011? Yeah, that's correct. That sounds right, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, so I guess we can get started with some questions here, but it was just announced uh, today, or has been reported today, that uh, the Whitecaps have to probably start uh, playing games in Salt Lake at Rio Tinto uh, Stadium. Uh, last year was a long season for them as well, where they were playing in Portland, I believe. Um, after yeah, also, MLS also is correct. Back. Yep, after MLS is back. And uh, one, I guess, how long do you think this is going to be for the whole season? And two, 
what do you think the effect it will have on the team for two straight seasons being pretty much away from uh, their home? Yeah, it's interesting because it's something that's uh, always kind of top of mind here in Canada for for the three MLS markets, but probably something that in the States doesn't really get mentioned until like, oh yeah, by the way, these teams are going to go down and play in the States. Right. But I know with like when we spoke with Axel Schuster, who's the sporting director over the off season, he talked about the fact that they had a couple players lined up even that they wanted to bring in on transfer at the end of last season. And once they explain the situation, oh yeah, you can come to the team, but you're going to immediately have to quarantine. Then you're going to have to go down to Portland. Your family can't come. And players were like, nah, I would love to join the team, but that's it. I'm out. I can't do this. And I think they've had similar struggles this off season where for some guys, it's just a non-starter, the uncertainty. I was a little bit surprised to see RSL reported this morning because the Whitecaps have had a really good like preseason tournament relationship with Portland. Like they kind of have a training facility, they have the hotel, they have familiarity with the environment. I would have thought that they'd go back to Portland again just because they've got all the stuff in place, but maybe they were unhappy with, you know, some of the stuff that went on last time. Obviously, it's kind of weird playing in one of your rivals' stadiums. Like there isn't that RSL Vancouver feel. And also it's kind of a more, you know, out in Sandy, Utah, it's kind of more suburban setting. So maybe that's, you know, better in a COVID sense. I don't know. There's obviously reasons that they're they're pursuing other avenues. But yeah, for, I mean, not just, you know, first of all, my, my heart goes out to the players having to, you know, potentially spend, I think it's going to be the whole season um, in a different market, just, you know, their families and, You know, also for people that I know that like work with the club who might have to go down there or, you know, people in media who don't get to cover the team. It's a difficult situation, but Canada is being very, very, very careful about how they're they're running the border. I think there's a lot of sentiment in Canada that things are already more lax in terms of travel than people are comfortable with. Like, despite the fact the border being closed there's still, it's pretty easy to travel between the U S and Canada if you really want to. And even, you know, uh, some people are calling for restrictions between provinces in terms of travel. So I don't see it all of a sudden going the other way where, you know, teams are flying in and out. I don't, I don't see that as a possibility, but it's a, I mean, it's one of these things only time will tell right throughout the whole pandemic. It's, it's pretty fluid, but yeah, if you're a Whitecaps player, uh, you're probably expecting to either set up in Portland or set up in a place like RSL this year. Another question I have here is just Whitecaps as a whole. uh, If we look throughout their history in MLS, you know, they joined as one of the three Cascadian teams. Seattle has won two MLS cups in 2016, 2019 made like four or five finals. Uh, the, the Timbers have won MLS's back. They just won MLS cup in 2015, but Vancouver has seemed kind of left behind in those, uh, circumstances. What exactly do you think the issue is? Cause they've gone through coaches. Is it, uh, more of a ownership or general manager type issue for the team? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And one that I think everyone in Vancouver, you know, is still, still working to figure out. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I, I knew that you guys would probably ask something like this, like, well, how do I really break it down? And the way I view it is that it's it's kind of been death by a thousand little cuts. Like, there's nothing specific that the Whitecaps do that is like outright catastrophic. It's more been 
especially the last couple of years under Mark DeSantos, where I think things have stabilized a bit. They just need everything to go right in order to be competitive. And when you're asking your team to do that in a league as competitive and unpredictable as MLS, like that's just, it's not going to happen. You're going to have something go wrong. Someone's going to get injured. Someone's going to have poor form. And the Whitecaps just haven't been deep enough, haven't been well-structured enough either through ownership, management, coaching to survive those, you know, missteps or issues, whatever it might be. So it's, it's not necessarily like massive overall incompetence, more just kind of not arming themselves with enough ammunition to overcome the adversity they face. Yeah. So, you know, looking through uh, the beginning of the season and stuff like that, obviously we had the delay uh, a little bit with the CBA. What are your thoughts on the new CBA? Uh, how you feel like that affects the MLS in the future? Is it, you know, detrimental to the league? Is it hindering any of the players' progress? Um, and then how does this look? I mean, as far as optics, do you think it looks uh, from outside the league? Because I know a lot of the players uh, are concerned about pay after the World Cup and different things like that. So how does this really go into effect um, and, and affect the MLS and its progress? I mean, first and foremost, I guess I'm, I am happy at the end of the day that a, that a deal got done, but it just, it's, I said this on my own show last week, like it's tough now that you've, you've created this pattern of animosity between the players union and the league. And, you know, I, my, my heart goes out to the players in terms of two things really specifically, the, the large, the larger share of the media rights that are now going directly to ownership. That's something players fight for really hard and they're kind of, they've had to take a step back there. And then also, you know, changes to the CBA up until 2027. That's, you know, if you're a league that's trying to grow and expand and be one of these top leagues in the world, I think that's kind of taking a step backwards in terms of extending the PA for so long. But uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. Um, Only, I guess only time will tell. It does, you know, seems overall like the league's moving in a positive direction, but I I do kind of view it, I guess, as a bit of a a step back in the long-term growth of the league. I was going to say, we've talked about progression for so long, um, and, and this was a time to step forward in that right direction. And it seems like even in American sports, it seems to be the case every single sport that you look at, the owners own the players. And that's what it's become. Um, if they get any ground, it's good ground. So just trying to get some of those rights. I mean, even the fact that they're matching their pay from last year or the ones that they're supposed to match for the contract this year, um, I think speaks volumes to just how little they're willing to go up. But so speaking of which, we'll get started into the season. Um, and I know you're excited about this because I'd listened to your guys' podcast, this last one, um, and talking about Daybear uh, Caicedo. Uh, I think a big signing, uh, plays pretty well. He, he's real strong on the ball. Um, he moves pretty easily throughout the, the bit, you know, through the midfield, through the defense, and, and can find that open shot, that open pass. Um, what does he bring to your guys' team? Uh, how does he elevate that attack? Because I know you're missing some players that – are going to be up front or, you know, uh, you know, Malinkovic missing uh, and had that fallout with Vancouver and then Montero still, you know, looks like he's on his way out. How does Daver um, really change that attack for you guys? Yeah, I think uh, Daver brings a lot of promise, right? I mean, so on a, on a very, very basic level, and this is something the the club tweeted out in kind of part of their announcement was that he's the highest rated Colombian in terms of potential on FIFA 21. And like, obviously that's not a metric you should be scouting by, it's but a good metric. <laughs> it gives you some idea that, you know, this is a guy that's highly regarded 
not only in like local circles back in Colombia, but also, you know, on a kind of a global scouting stage. So I think that's a first and foremost, like that's a good get for the Whitecaps in terms of marketing, even beyond the player. Then you look at, they brought in Christian Dahomey last year, um, a dynamic Colombian winger as well. Um, Alex and I are my podcast co-host. We've talked on and on about Mark DeSantos, Vancouver's head coach, very, very specific about what he looks for out of his wingers. You know, he's not necessarily just looking for the out-and-out one-on-one dribbler, but he doesn't want, we saw last year, a guy like David Milinkovic really liked to cut inside. He was almost kind of like a, a false central midfielder playing out in the wing. I think Diver's going to like Dahomey. He has good defensive tendencies, but he can also take on men one-on-one. He can also pass. He can also cross. I think that, yeah, some of the polish in his game, at least in terms of scouting reports, is going to need some time and some work. And so that's maybe where if you're trying to be a pundit, you're trying to be critical. I'm a little, I'm concerned for the team, not necessarily for the player. Like he's going to get there. He's going to be a good MLS player at some point, but by letting a couple players go this off season and bringing him in, there's a lot of pressure on a very young guy in a new environment to perform right away. And I just don't know if that's the, that doesn't seem like the best environment for immediate success to me, but in terms of just like an evaluation of the player, it's a it's a good signing. It's a win in that sense, at least. Yeah, you you mentioned that. I read your article. It said that uh, despite their well publicized interest in young players, this most current regime has a little had very little success developing those players. And didn't you guys just make? Uh, weren't there some moves that were made in the academy that were that were positive signings for you guys as far as just going forward with the youth? So it's a, yeah, that's a, it's a whole, we could probably talk for hours about this if we really wanted to, but uh, not to, not to be woe is me about Canada, but even in chatting with Don Garber, when he came to Vancouver last season, the, the academy structure throughout MLS is not particularly well suited for the Canadian teams. Like if you look at Vancouver, you know, you've got, you have Seattle and Portland, but those are the only two MLS teams within like even a driving distance. So if you're talking about U19, U23 kind of academy games, whatever it might be, your options are really limited. And so the Whitecaps have had a real problem kind of taking their academy graduates and transitioning them to the pro level. And uh, it's obviously something that throughout COVID has not necessarily gotten better. If anything, it's gotten, it's gotten far worse. So it's yeah, it's kind of a it's fluid situation. The Whitecaps are definitely trying to to take the right steps in that regard, but uh, I mean it's yeah, it's been tough sledding for really you know all developmental sport across across all of North America, if not the world. So it's it's not a unique problem either. But there was there were flaws in that system to begin with that the the Whitecaps kind of have to overcome. And then really that comment from the article was more in terms of like a, a pro personnel level where they brought in in bomb Huang highly touted South Korean was, you know, playing for the national team, which is like, that's not a easy national team to be a part of. Um, Joaquin Ardaiz was brought in from Serie A. Um, you know, again, a guy that at one point was very highly regarded Uruguayan striker and not necessarily both of the players. I think they had kind of attitude concerns or they weren't necessarily super happy with their, where they were. But part of it comes down to the team as well. Like you have to make these guys feel welcome and you have to get the most out of them. And so my critique there would be that 
that's great that you bring in someone with the right profile, but the fit has to be correct and you have to do your best to coach them up as well. So to me, Caicedo is a real test. Can they, they failed a couple times in that regard. They talk about how they want young players. Can you really make the most out of them? Right. And just watching some of his highlights. I mean, you can tell the, the guy's got talent. I mean, he's clearly talented. He's clearly going to make a big difference for somebody in the MLS, um, especially with how well he handles, how well he does things with uh, the ball and finding those open spaces. But um, I, I know finding spaces, creating chances has been a big issue. And I know you tweeted about it with the Super Bowl going on and stuff. Uh, give me your thoughts on that number 10. What are you guys doing with that number 10? Is there anything out there? I know that you guys have been linked through Doyle uh, about Otavio. Uh, I think Chiquino as well. Um, some of those guys that are out there, again, playing in Europe, but not necessarily uh, guys that you would think would come to MLS because they're linked to guys like Lester. They're linked to Enter. They're linked to the bigger squads. But if you, know, if you had your opportune um, number 10, uh, who do you grab? What do you use on that? And then what, you know, what 10 do you really need for that uh, midfield there? Oh my gosh, this is such a, a can of worms. So the the joke throughout Vancouver and the reason why like I put out that tweet, not just because of the search this year, but this is like since 2011, the Whitecaps right. have been looking for a number 10. Like Pedro Morales was the only guy really that even came close to filling that role. And even he was more of like an eight, um, kind of like drifting around and playing long balls in, but not really that edge of the box, like dynamic, you know, say a James Madison type, like obviously you're not going to get a guy of that quality, but if you get, you know, James Madison ultra light, like that's the kind of player the Whitecaps would be looking for. And yeah, they, they set their targets pretty high, right? You had Otavio who was linked with like all the major clubs in Europe. He had, um, so he was out of Porto. Then you had Chiquinho, which was from Benfica, um, Marco Santos, Canadian but Portuguese roots, so maybe there was some some links there. But yeah, I, there was smoke. Like I think they genuinely made offers on both these guys, but in terms of how close they were to actually getting a deal done, I really don't know. And the concern is now that um, Canada, in comparison to the United States, they have real issues. Like these transfers take a long time, and the uh, you know the permits to get into the country and just the whole like visa process is. I think for Colombia, say for example, for Caicedo, they started talking to Diber and his agent like back in November and they had to wait 14 weeks for the permit. Like this was, if you were kind of like hovering around the Vancouver market, like I knew that this transfer was going down probably like two months ago, but it just, it took so long to get over the finish line. And the concern now with a number 10 is like, you know, they're going to need someone like that for the start of the season. And I just don't know if that's going to be realistic unless the club's doing a really, really good job hiding whatever they're working on. And I don't think it's one of those two flashy Portuguese targets anymore. It, it could happen, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath. No, it'd definitely be exciting. But again, whenever they start linking players from Porto and Benfica and, you know, I'm a city fan and their, you know, Diaz comes from there and I'm going, man, they just breed talent. So even if they could just sniff the Benfica players, um, it'd be fantastic. And I know looking at, I listened to DeSantis and, and uh, Schuster talk about the process of just bringing people over here. You can just tell they take some jabs at the United States. Like they just get to, they just walk in the States. Just, so, just give the guy a true. green card, right? <laughs> right. Good to go. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. So that that's always been uh, kind of interesting to listen to you guys. Like, I mean, the, the three teams up there having a hard time, and you, I know you've mentioned multiple times that they're typically slow, anyways, when they're signing. Um, and speaking of which, I mean, you, you're losing Montero, um, who is a, a big loss for you guys up front. Um, but you guys do have what looks like some depth up there. I know Ricketts is up there. Um, I think he's in behind. Um, and uh, Cavallini. And then you've got an interesting talent, I think, uh, at least from what I've seen, uh, Theo Bear. Um, young, looks pretty talented. Uh, I saw, I think it was might have been his first goal where it comes down and he volleys it. Um, just absolutely amazing shot that goes in. Um, give me your thoughts on Theo. Uh, is he, uh, he reminds me in structure of DCL uh, for Everton for some reason. I think it's because he's tall and lanky. Um, but just give me your thoughts on him and how he can improve and maybe make that step up to to get some more um, rank up that depth chart. Yeah, Theo's had a an interesting arc, and um, I've certainly been along with uh, some other people in the market, kind of a, a champion of what he has to offer. I think that lots of us have pretty high hopes for what Theo can do, and just like super humble, down to earth guy, just works his absolute bag off, like the the kind of person you want on a team. And, you know, really kind of embodies that Canadian like hockey player, you know, head down, just kind of grind personality. But he's got, as you said, like some real talent and like touch of class too for a big man. Um, He's got lots of, you know, lots of potential. But the thing is, you do have Lucas Cavallini kind of firmly cemented in that spot. I don't think Mark Dos Santos, if he has everything the way he wants, is a big 4-4-2 guy. And even within the 4-4-2, like, I don't know if Theo Bear and Lucas Cavallini alongside each other really makes sense. They're kind of, they're not the same player, but they're similar. And Lucas Cavallini, I mean, he had probably about as poor of a year as you could expect from him last year. And he still had six goals in 18 matches. Like, he's a guy that could easily put 25 in if the team around him was, was you know, really well suited to his strengths. So, I don't know. I'm I'm concerned about what Theo's role is going to be like going forwards because you want to see him get lots of playing time. I just don't know if there's as much opportunity for him here as he maybe wants. And they've already kind of tried Theo out in the wing at times and they flirted with that. And now they're kind of decided, no, he's a striker again. And so I think this is, this is a kind of a, you know, a show up or, or leave year in terms of like, Make he's either right here. he's going to get the opportunity or he's not going to get the opportunity. He's going to move on. It's it kind of feels like one of the two at this point because there's CPL clubs. Like if you want to go lower level, like he'd be the best player in the Canadian Premier League right away. And you know there's maybe opportunities in like lower divisions in Europe or something. Like this is a guy that really wants his opportunity, and I think feels like he's kind of earned it at this point. He would probably never say that out loud, but. I feel like it's, yeah, he's got to kind of decide where he wants to go this year. So it'll be interesting to track. You mentioned the CPL, which is great because uh, it actually segues to my next question here. But just as a whole, uh, you know, with the Canadian Premier League uh, still being kind of in its infancy, what type of impact do you think that's going to have on Canadian soccer and maybe even those MLS Canadian clubs? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a feeling out process, but I think the the most important point you could take away is that, you know, more competition, more opportunities for young guys to play as professionals in Canada is massively positive. 
I mean, you look at you know what the United States national team has done over the last couple of years. It's gone from from lean times to you know it feels like you guys just have such a wealth of prospects and and Canada's slowly getting there. But my feeling is that in five or ten years' time, hopefully, we'll see the effect of the CPL do something similar, where guys have had they don't get lost in the shuffle anymore. They don't quit and just go to university, but they, they keep the dream going and, you know, guys are unearthed later on. You don't have to be an Alfonso Davies, 14 year old prodigy to kind of get the time of day anymore. And so, um, yeah, it'll be, it's kind of a, a balance too, though, because for a club like the Whitecaps, like they're, they lost a ton of development squad players to the CPL because guys weren't getting opportunities at the MLS club, maybe didn't see the horizons of them being able to to play at that level. And so they go to the CPL and at that point, it's kind of like they're unlikely to come back. So, and, and we're seeing guys from the Canadian Premier League go to the Netherlands, go to Belgium, go to like top flight football, likely coming off the bench or likely in a depth role, but you can make the jump from the CPL to top flight European football. So there is the risk that some guys skip the MLS and don't really end up being part of that system anymore but just as like a canadian soccer fan and someone who you know i don't really care whether or not canada's top players play in the mls or cpl before they go to europe but it seems like a win-win in that sense at least do you think the white caps can make a you know like we've seen it with the uh mls club sometimes having affiliates with usl teams is it possible for that to kind of happen you think with the cpl or is that kind of off the table so yeah, there was something early on that I think a lot of people really kind of pushed for, like, oh, this seems like a win-win for everyone. And the CPL was not interested. They they're very cautious about becoming a MLS minor league, feeder league. They did not want to, you know, they didn't want safe, for example. So we've got on the West Coast, Vancouver Whitecaps, Pacific FC in Victoria, which is like the second biggest city. And then the capital of British Columbia and, you know, Pacific really, they didn't want to become Whitecaps FC two, which was a USL team that we had at one point. So um, there've been, say for example, there was one Whitecaps player who got loaned out to Athletical Ottawa for the kind of shortened tournament style season they did, but it's very much in terms of like a club to club, we're going to loan this player out, not like a feeder system. And I, I think really for the CPL, that's a non-starter. As much as it makes sense for MLS, they it doesn't make sense for them in terms of their branding and their long-term vision for the league. Yeah, I can totally see that. That's a good point. <laughs> I can see how that would, you know, they don't want to be wrapped up and become like a minor league because uh, they're the top flight of Can- uh, Canada. Technically. And I think they, they truly believe that they can just become like a a proper, you know, we are the top tier of Canadian right. soccer. They, that That is the ultimate vision. And so I think anything that threatens that, they're, they're not going to really entertain. Is it possible for any of these just down the road, future, that these three MLS teams move to the CPL? I, I think it's something that, you know, certain Canadian soccer purists are definitely batting around. Or I know there's even been sentiment because of, the way the white caps have struggled and certainly some of the, some people don't view ownership in the highest light that, you know, people are even dreaming about, Oh, just create a Vancouver CPL team and maybe the MLS team will fold. And like, who cares? We'll just, we'll move on with this, the CPL franchise instead. So I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a section of people that kind of back that. I, I do think though, that it, it would be a long time before MLS teams would no longer be relevant in Canada. I think that's like a, 
a 15, 20 years down the road pop proposition. Like maybe I'm wrong, but that's, right. that's kind of how it feels right now. Well, the good thing is too, with the CONCACAF president being Canadian um, and them expanding the champions league here coming up too, giving those spots to CPL teams, I think at least one or two spots to CPL teams, it's going to help that league grow as well. Yeah, that's the, it's the hope. It's just, you know, taking small steps towards really, you know, hopefully North, North American soccer is taking a step towards, you know, being a really relevant player on the global stage. And so hopefully all these little adjustments that are being made are kind of, you know, bricks along, along that journey. All right, Sam, I think we'll ask you that last question. The one that everybody's dying to hear. Um, what is your prediction? Give us something to make fans listening excited about 2021 uh, expectations as far as like, you know, realistic finish, maybe not like a spot, but do you make the playoffs? What kind of growth do you want to see? And then how do they build off that performance that they had last year? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I want to be optimistic, but I, I have to do so cautiously. I think that, you know, the Whitecaps did a lot kind of in their, in their debrief from last season to convince themselves that they were a playoff team and that they were sort of almost, you know, wronged in a way by all the challenges they faced along the way. And I don't know if that's really necessarily true, because if you look at, I mean, this isn't even diving into super advanced metrics. It's just like expected goals against and things like that possession. They were at the bottom of the league in like a lot of those numbers, just in terms of, you know, did you control the play? Did you kind of take hold of matches? And they really struggled to do so. So, you know, I think this is all contingent on, you know, if you're not able to secure a number 10, then. I think all you can expect is a similar finish to the last year, if not less than. I mean, if you're if you're able to bring in a high profile number ten, well, then I think maybe you you compete for like a lower tier playoff spot. But I don't think that you know even bringing in a midfielder for you know eight ten million dollars, I don't think that automatically vaults the Vancouver Whitecaps to you know a top position in the Western Conference standings. Like they've got a lot of work to do and. You know, MLS teams are constantly taking massive step forwards and the Whitecaps do have a tendency to just kind of tread water a little bit. So I do think, though, despite all that, like, as I mentioned, Lucas Cavallini had for him quite a poor season. Christian Dahomey's first year in the league, he definitely grew as the year went on. He went through this harrowing tale where the Whitecaps tried to fly his family out of Columbia like three times and got turned around. Finally, he was reunited with his family like six months later. So he's probably going to be feeling good. Max Cropo is going to be back from injury. You've got, you know, a pretty decent center back core. You've got Eric Godoy, Ranko Vasilinovic. You know, Ranko's a, a, a top regarded Serbian player. And then Eric Godoy had a lot of experience in the Argentinian league. So there are lots of positives. And I guess if, if everything goes according to plan, you could totally be like a, a five, six seed playoff team. But again, kind of to circle all the way back to what I said at the start, it is, it's a Whitecaps team that often kind of is sunk by little things going wrong and they're not, they don't have that capability to just overcome their problems with sheer talent. So if everything goes right, they could totally be a playoff team, but I, especially considering what they're likely going to have to do playing, you know, five six you know seven hours away from home if not more like that's that's going to be a serious challenge to overcome and mark dos santos is in a contract year and doesn't have any job security for next year so uh 
the Whitecaps might not be the best MLS team to watch, but there's definitely storylines worth following. Awesome. Where can people find your work and uh, your podcast? Uh, yeah, so you can find um, all of my written work as well as the other people um, with SB Nation in Vancouver at 86forever.com. I mean, you could also just kind of hop on the SB Nation soccer networks and we're not going to be too hard to find. And then in terms of audio stuff, um, we are at Third Subpod on Twitter and available the third sub podcast pretty much wherever podcasts are available so if that's spotify overcast apple podcast google whatever all right well thanks for jumping on and uh everybody go listen to the podcast go find his work and that was sam rowan and that was sam rowan from 86 forever vancouver whitecaps sb nations blog there he also has a podcast uh there as well that you can find on the site we do want to thank him for jumping on. Logan, what did you uh, take away from the interview? I think it's interesting that he, you know, when he was talking about Caicedo, if, you know, he was talking about in his article, and I probably misquoted him there. Um, I, I got the quote right, but his the interpretation wasn't quite correct. He was talking about how guys like Caicedo, who are, you know, young in their younger 20s, um, just don't develop as well uh, underneath the white caps tutelage, whether it be the coach, the development system that they have in place for younger players like that. Um, but again, I think if they develop him and they can get in that number 10 that they're looking for, that he said they've been looking for for years on end, uh, I do think that they can make a push a little bit higher in that table. I, from what he's what he was saying at the end there, I, I don't know if they're going to be quite good enough to push the buttons high enough uh, just because of, the, the, the inabilities to attack at times. Sometimes it just seems a little stagnant from what, what I got from him. But overall, I, I think it was really interesting, uh, you know, the, the, the time he took in explaining to us the situation that uh, Canada presents to, you know, the challenges that it presents to its MLS clubs because of, you know, these players not being able to see families fly. Um, they can't play home games. They're not seeing fans. I, I mean, this has got to be a pretty isolating feeling for some of these Canadian teams to live in these cities that aren't necessarily home. And I think that, you know, in Canada, they, they really want to see their teams back. But overall, a, a really cool preview. I think it, I'm excited for the Caicedo, uh, the, the progress, the, the project that they have with him and seeing the progress with that player. Yeah, we're just for people to, to know, uh, we're, we're not really giving a lot of predictions on what we think are going to happen until we get closer to the season. We're going to do a preview show where we give probably predictions on uh, who makes the playoffs, who doesn't, who wins Supporter Shield, MLS Cup, all that kind of stuff. But for this, uh, for now, I, I am going to say, I don't think they make the playoffs, <laughs> uh, you know, unless if Caicedo has a really great season. But, you know, they do need more than that. And uh, like Sam said, it's just very tough for them. So uh, I'm going to stick with that. I don't think they're going to improve much from last year especially losing Freddie Montero uh, if he does stay away from Vancouver. But uh, yeah, that about wraps us up here. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview. Like I said, we will have uh, Houston and San Jose previews coming later this week and next week. So if you do have questions that you want us to ask our guests, you can reach us on... Oh crap, now I gotta go all the way there. I got to cut this out, too. It's all stateside. It is. Why do I even have to look? Stoppage is the hardest. Okay. Twitter at Stateside Show. Instagram at Stateside Show. Facebook.com slash 
stateside show or email us stateside show at gmail.com. We will catch you all next time for our Houston or San Jose, whichever one we get out there first uh, preview for the 2021 MLS season. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.